days I wanna praise Everybody needs your love Well, good morning and welcome to OCC Online. It's really great to have you join us this morning. If you're here for the first time, we give you a very, very warm welcome. We're so glad that you're tuning in. Uh, to join us online. We would much rather be in person. I think we'd all recognise that over these last few months, but this has become a, such a useful medium for us. Um, I don't know how you're feeling after Boris's announcements yesterday. Um, maybe you're it's kind of expecting it. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's, it's, it's not even the biggest news. Uh, you've got other things going on. Uh, maybe some of you, this is just like, oh no, another, another four weeks at, uh, at minimum. However, I, I, wanted, I want us to draw our attention this morning to the fact that God reigns over all things. Our hope as followers of Jesus is not in, in government, it's not in politicians. We pray for them and we, 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 we want them to do the very best, don't we? Um, but our hope is not in them. Our hope and our trust is in the one who reigns over all things. So I just want to read a couple of verses from Psalm 90 before Becky leads us in some worship this morning. Uh, and maybe we could pray this. This is maybe a, a, a prayer this morning. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Love that. that he, he, he was before all things and in him all things hold together and he sustains all things. From eternity to eternity, you are God. And so this doesn't catch him by surprise. We can trust him because I love that you have been our refuge in every generation. And that uh, the testimony of those that have gone before us who've experienced life in all its, its fullness and, and challenges and trials have known the faithfulness of God. And, and we too uh, will know his faithfulness and goodness and him as our refuge in these moments. So as Becky, as you lead us in worship, would you draw us to Jesus? May our hearts... Um, be uh, be drawn to him in worship. Thank you, Becky, for leading us today. How great. 
Okay. 
Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid crown firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of christ i stand Just let me read a few words of scripture uh, before we, we're going to sing a, a kid's song in a moment, but just to lead us into this declaration really we're going to make is this, that is probably some of my favourite verses of scripture actually. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's why we can sing the song that Becky sang, in Christ alone, because he is over all things. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or, a dominion, or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, 
and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Uh, I feel a sermon coming on, so I'm not, I'm not I'm going to resist. Uh, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now this. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you, you and I, wholly faultless and blameless before him. And in, and so we're going to sing Lighthouse in a moment, one of my kids' favourite songs. Why? Because he is the light of the world. Through his life and death and resurrection, uh, he um, he is uh, he he is the light of the world, and uh, I hope I've got the right song. But no, I haven't. It's the light your light shine. I thought it was my lighthouse, but it's like, yeah, let your light shine. Getting carried away with scripture. Um, so we're going to hand over to Phil. He's going to play that video. That's my new favourite. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to. I'm just going to do some notices now before handing back over to John. 
who's going to just uh, bring the word to us today from Philippians as we begin to uh, journey through that wonderful letter uh, together. Um, so we are tomorrow going to be meeting uh, online uh, on our Zoom prayer meeting, monthly prayer meeting tomorrow evening. Uh, it's 30 minutes from 7.30 till 8. And uh, we're really, uh, tomorrow night, we just want to concentrate on any prayer request that you might have uh, for us to just be able to stand with you in prayer. And so please uh, send them through. I think there's something just come up on the chat there that you can submit your prayer request. Um, or go to the, uh, use the pastoral at OC uh, hyphen Stratford. Let me, let me start that again. This is going very well this morning, isn't it? Uh, you can email pastoral at OCC hyphen Stratford.org.uk uh, your prayer requests and, uh, and also request the Zoom logging details for that. Um, we have, uh, just in terms of update on gatherings, obviously Boris um, Johnson made some announcements yesterday evening regarding uh, a four-week lockdown period, which uh, we we've, we are planning to meet together at, at the beginning of December. We couldn't meet um, at the at the end of November just for, for various logistical reasons. So that's the plan. Um, obviously, things are changing so much. We are we're going to try and make as much provision as we can to be able to, for us to do that. Uh, John's explained previously some of the the challenges that we we face uh, doing so, but we do believe it's important that we can gather if we can uh, safely and legally do so. So just bear with us. Um, we will keep communicating with you just the updates regarding that. Uh, and then finally, just to say, if you're able to continue to give into the life of, of the church and uh, the ministry that goes way beyond just even our community, then please do so uh, today. Uh, Thank you for just being with us. Those of you tuning in for the first time today, again, give you a really warm welcome. And uh, I'm going to hand over to John, who's going to lead us in the next part of this. Thanks, John. Great. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for leading us, Becky, as well. It's just uh, it's just great to be together, isn't it? And just worshipping and um, allowing God's spirit just to come and minister to us. Well, <clears throat> over the next little while, we're going to spend some time journeying through a letter. Um, this letter was written uh, from a prison cell. It was written by someone who was thrown into that prison cell for creating a public disturbance. Uh, this letter was written as that person was awaiting trial. And we know that that trial would later result in their execution. Uh, and this letter seems to suggest that actually the writer knows things are not turning out well. Um, this letter is written to a local church, uh, a group of people just like you, just like me, people who had jobs, who uh, had livelihoods, friends, family, some of their family and friends believed what they believed, some didn't, some were very, very different. Um, this church, it was in a significant town. Uh, although it's not a large town, it was a place where people would travel to and travel through, and it had quite a history. Uh, sounds interesting, doesn't it? Uh, knowing where we live and the space that we have. Um, this town was known and loved by the writer of this letter because they were generous and they were living out the gospel that had been preached to them. They were the first town in the whole of Europe to have this message preached to them. Uh, and it was established by the very person who was writing this letter. <clears throat> this person was Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, known as Saul, whose life was radically transformed by the risen Jesus. And he's writing to a church that he looks on with fondness. Uh, that's in modern day Macedonia. And it's a church that we know through the letter to the Philippians. Uh, and this is the letter that we're going to spend the next little while just journeying through. We're going to go verse by verse. We're actually going to cover the whole of this letter. That's the plan. <clears throat> so it might go on for a little while. Um, we're just going to dip in and dip out as and when we need to. 
Um, but that's the plan. Uh, and this letter, and it is a letter, it is a real letter written to real people um, uh, in real circumstances, in real situations. Uh, and it was written to encourage this church that had been such an encouragement to Paul. See, we, we see Paul reminding this church just who it is that they worship in the midst of whatever it is they're going through. You worship Jesus and uh, nothing can stop Jesus. Even Paul's own suffering will not stop the extension of the story of God going into the nations. And Paul will champion unity and he'll remind them just who they are in God. And throughout uh, this Paul will remind that church in Philippi that God is with them uh, and that they can be filled with all hope and joy, no matter the circumstances. In fact, joy is a massive theme within this letter It is the letter of joy. Joy appears in chapter one, verse four, verse 18, verse 25, chapter two, verse two, 17 to 18, 28 to 29, chapter three, verse one, chapter four, verse one, verse four and verse 10. It is throughout this letter. In fact, some form of joy is mentioned 16 times throughout the course of this letter. Some have said that this is Paul's happiest and most positive and most personal of writings. And he wrote it in the midst of one of his greatest trials. Philippians is known as the letter of joy, which is incredible when we know that Paul is writing this from a prison cell. And being in prison in the mid first century is not like being in prison these days. Not that I'm saying being in prison these days is a walk in the park, not at all. But for those in prison in, in those that mid first century, meals were not provided. Uh, you didn't get anything from anyone unless those on the outside were willing to come in and support you. So everything you need from food, from clothing, from company, this was only available to those that had supporters on the outside that were then willing to even come in to this environment of this prison. The image that we might have of Paul in a, in a nice sort of a candlelit uh, room with a, a nice uh, writing desk in a comfyish bed in the corner with maybe a tray of food sat next to him as he writes. That is not the experience of those that were in prison in the first century at all. So isn't it just remarkable that joy is the main theme of this letter, that in the midst of the circumstances that Paul is going through, that he wanted to be out. He wanted to be telling people about Jesus, yet he was being restricted. He was being dictated to. Life was hard. It was really hard. And yet this letter is Paul's most positive and happiest of writings. I think this letter can speak to us in our time. I think there's some things in this letter that we need to hear today. Not just the famous one-liners, although there's a few. There's things you'll know if you, even if you, you don't know this letter particularly, there'll be things you've heard if you've been around church or people have texted you during difficult circumstances. Things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, in humility, uh, value others above yourself. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth. Maybe you know this one. I consider everything a loss uh, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Maybe someone's texted this one, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize. Preachers love that one. How about do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How about this? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Or the one we love, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches uh, of, of his glory in Christ Jesus. These amazing one-liners, which fit really lovely onto a little fridge magnet or a nice soft painting of a lion uh, that I'm sure we've seen uh, in churches and around the place. But this letter, when it's taken as a whole, 
these one-liners actually start to have even deeper significance, I think. When we when we see that joy is the dominant theme and some of the stuff that Paul is inspired by the Spirit to write in the midst of what he's going through, I think it's amazing. And the, uh, the, the, the joy that Paul speaks of is not like a, just a whistling in the dark, Cheshire cat grin kind of optimism that the glass is always half full. This isn't a joy that only those eternal optimists can, uh, can experience. Paul says that this joy is a deep-seated awareness of the grace and the mercy and the power and the presence of God that is for you no matter what you're going through. That in the midst of whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is we're going through as a nation, as the nations, maybe just in your own life, that there is a joy that you can know that goes way beyond that which circumstances can give us. And for Paul, he's experiencing this even though he faces probable death in a prison cell. But whatever we go through, there is joy. So we're going to dive in and we're going to uh, start. We're just going to read two verses the, this morning, just the first two verses, often ones that we gloss over. Um, but it starts like this. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pray as we get into God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is uh, it's stable and consistent. It is, it is faithful to who you are and who, who you call us to be. So, Lord, I just pray by your spirit right now, you would just speak to each one of us. Speak right where we're at. And we'll speak through your word. Let us know you and know who we are because of who you are and help us to live for you and your glory. Amen. Amen. If you want a title for uh, this morning's talk, then it is Philippians part one. But if you'd like a kind of sexier title than that, how about this? Let me introduce myself. Let me introduce myself. Uh, I, have you ever been introduced? That's my question. Have you ever been introduced? Maybe uh, before social distancing and when we could actually be together, um, maybe at a party or some friends of friends would introduce you. Uh, I remember being introduced once and I was speaking at a Bible college in Pakistan. Um, we were there helping with uh, some relief efforts and, and working with uh, some uh, church organisations there. And I was about to get up and speak to this kind of few dozen Bible college students. And the Pakistani lecturer uh, was just bringing some news and some updates to the students. And then he he started to introduce me. Well, <laughs> I've got to be honest, halfway through his introduction, I had no clue on earth who he was introducing, who he was speaking about, because it just sounded so impressive. I, mean, I sat down thinking, I want to listen to whoever it is that you're introducing, because it's not me. And whoever it is sounds a lot more qualified than me to speak to these Bible college students. Sounded amazing. He was saying how this man has traveled the, the world on mission trips to over 40 nations. He's preached to theology students and to uh, people under trees in Africa. He's been involved in relief efforts in uh, the Asian tsunami and the earthquake in Haiti and, the, and in our own nation of Pakistan. And this is all coming through a translator. I'm like, I think the translator's got this all wrong, what this guy is saying. It can't be. You know, he's led worship around the world. And I'm sitting there going, I have no idea who this is. And, and then he said, please welcome Pastor John Martin. As if it was like a stadium to a few dozen uh, Bible college students. And there was this little unimpressed ripple of applause. Um, there was a lot more fitting for the person that was standing up uh, to come and speak to them rather than the introduction the teacher had bought. Uh, and I stood there thinking that sounded really impressive. 
uh, when it's presented like that. But that's not who I mean, it's some of the stuff that I've done, but it wasn't it's not like that. Um, and, and I also wanted to correct him that at the time I'm not a pastor. Uh, I'm leading a church now and people call me pastor now, but I wasn't then. And so I had to correct him there. And then I spent the next 10 minutes clarifying who I actually am and what I'd really done. Um, I don't think the students were that impressed anyway, even less so after my reintroduction into who was speaking to them. But introductions are really important, aren't they? They prepare the audience for what's about to be said and who is about to say it. They provide like a first impression and establish the credibility with the audience, or in my case, they demolish the credibility with the audience. As well as speeches, letters are really important. In fact, we see through the majority of Paul's letters, he brings an introduction. These first few lines where Paul is going to lay out what is uh, of first importance. And we can be so tempted to, to gloss over these few lines just think, oh, just, yeah, let's get to the meat. We don't want all this froth. We want to get to the, the real good stuff that will make me get through this day and know that God is for me. But if we do that, we miss, I think, what Paul is saying. I'm laying out first and foremost what is so important. See, Paul takes this important moment, this important introduction, and he presents himself and Timothy, these co-senders of this letter. He presents them and he says, we are servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. I don't think this is false humility on Paul's part. I mean, it's true that Paul, he was a great theologian, still is. He was one of the sharpest minds of his generation. He was a church planter. He was a public debater. He was an apostle. He could have introduced himself as any of these things. And yet the first thing that he says is, I'm a servant. Before anything else, any recognition, any position, any qualifications, he says, I'm a servant. See, my first point this morning is this. Paul knows who he is. So the world is built on achievements, isn't it? Not just achievements, but recognition of those achievements. This is who I am and this is what I've done. And I'm going to tell the world and put it out there to make sure everybody knows that I've achieved something. If you are anybody, it's because you've achieved something. And not just that, the world has seen that you have achieved something. From those in powerful jobs where the, the recognition or the amount of people that do what you tell them to do is the, is, the, is the achievement and the recognition. Maybe it's the paycheck or the exclusive access. But we also have it through to those that have just scraped through another day, but we've managed to make a really nice meal in the midst of that day. So we better take a photo of it and show the world just to show that we've achieved something today and that that can be recognised. We value achievement and we value recognition of that achievement. Now, I'm not I'm not knocking achievement. I'm not I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But for Paul, there was something that came above all of that, above any kind of recognition, any kind of achievement, above anything we could do. And it was the humble acknowledgement that first and foremost, I'm a servant. And actually, the word that he uses here is the word slave. And those reading this letter, those having it read to them, they would understand that this is to do with submission obedience, humility, that before anything Paul had done to gain any kind of recognition, he's defined by his act of service and his services to Jesus. And he says it blatantly, I'm a slave to Jesus. This language of being a slave suggests there's one who has authority over you, one who has ultimate say about what you do and how you do it. Paul writes uh, another letter to another church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. See, it's not true that when you give your life to Jesus, you are free to do whatever you want, however you want to do it. 
a slave and that imagery of a slave means you become the property of the master their wants their will that your life and your body is not your own you've been brought with a price and you belong to the master and so that slave submits to the will of the master. Now, this language is not comfortable to our 21st century ears. We don't like it. We like the, the freedom God that brings brings more of what we need, the peace and the joy and the grace. And he gives it abundantly. And he does. But Paul gets this. Paul says that when I've given my life to Jesus, I've been bought with a price, a huge price. The life of Jesus who lived the life that we could never live, but died the death that we all deserve that he lived as humanity was intended to live. And yet, uh, uh, and in him, there was no error and no wrong, nothing that keeps us from God. But he hung on that cross. And in that moment, all of my error, all of your error and sin and wrong that keeps us from God was put upon him and he dies. But that's not where he stayed. Death would, uh, would be defeated. And it's no longer the final say, because Jesus rose again on that third day. And that those who believe and trust in him, we've been made right with God and we get to live with him forever now and into all eternity. So we can do whatever we want, however we want, to whomever we want. No. So we can be slaves of Jesus. And for Paul, this imagery of being a slave is one he writes as he is in chains. He's a prisoner, not able to do what he wanted when he wanted. And this picture, I think, reminds him that the minute I gave my life to Jesus, I gave up that right anyway. My life is not my own. To you, I belong. But the service to this master is not like you'd expect. Being a slave to Jesus is not like being a slave to anything or anybody else. And he says this in his letter that, uh, that this, this master that, that you live for is not going to take life, but he's going to give life. We read it in, one, in Colossians 1 verse 13. He says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. The minute we give our life to him, there's a there's a change that happens and he gives and he gives and he gives. Being a slave to this master is not like you'd expect. He's a master unlike any that you will have ever served. Instead of taking life, he will give it. See, being a slave to Jesus means gaining, not being taken from. See, the irony is that this world around us it enslaves us to its ideals and its ideas. And they're a cheap imitation. And they take and they take and they take. It claims to give you what you want when you want, but it doesn't. It takes. And just when you think you've got what you need, it asks for more and more and more, ultimately never giving what it's promised. But in serving Jesus, he promises new life, whole life, life as it was originally intended, because now there's a new kingdom. And the king, which is the king of this kingdom, is unlike any that you have ever experienced. And now we are in him and our purpose is in him. Our identity is in him. And he gives and he gives and he gives himself. Even when we give ourselves to him, he outgives us every single time. This is so different to the world. I wonder who has ultimate say in your life. Who defines you? What determines how you live your life? The joy in your life. Is it an announcement from the government? Is it circumstances being perfect? Situations going as you want them to? Is it your salary? Is it your influence? Is it what people say about you? Is it what, what you see in others and long to have for yourself? How good your family looks in front of everybody else? How stable you are during this current situation? We can try and be our own authority. Uh, many have. And we can allow other people and other things to have ultimate say, and many people do. But ultimately, they take and they take and they take, but give so little in return. See, the reputation can always be bigger, can't it? The salary can always be bigger. 
the title can always be the next one. The house can always be the better one. But when we let go and let Jesus be the master, he gives. Paul reminds those he's writing to. And I think he's reminding us. Don't seek to be defined by all the other masters out there. Resist the temptation. Be a slave to Jesus. Be willing to submit to him. You may feel like you're losing something in that moment, but actually what you gain from him is so much. Let that be your introduction. Let that be what defines you. Let that be what shapes and directs your life. Not, hi, my my name is John Martin and I'm a pastor. That's how most of us introduce ourselves, isn't it? We introduce ourselves by this is my identity and this is what I do. And what I do marks out my identity. What I do defines who I am. Maybe for you, you're something that you're achieved. Who you are is something that you've achieved. But before any of those things, you're a servant to Jesus. Maybe for you, who you are is something that you're ashamed of. Before any of those things, you are a servant to Jesus. He is the one who defines you. Not what you've done. Not how well you do it. I may well be a pastor. I may well serve this church, but I am only here serving this church because first and foremost, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He said, go and I'm going. Churches can be the worst at this. We have such an emphasis on position, on leadership. See, people like to call me Pastor John and I'm like, you can call me that if you like. I've been called a lot worse, but I I don't call like people Plumber Pete or Accountant Adam or Company Director Daisy. Um, I've got young kids, so my frame of reference is Thomas the Tank Engine and Postman Pat. So your job has to match the first letter of your name. Um, but we, we, we define people, don't we, by what they do and the positions they hold. Those who lead this church is, is leadership. We have positions for everything you can imagine. Thankfully, we're not a church like that. But some churches have church leadership programs. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not knocking it. But have we ever spoken into what it means to be a good follower? What it actually means to follow? I'm only a leader because there's a group of people that I've been called to lead. Without a group of people, I'm not their leader. See, the leader is not more important than the led. Don't think this is a hierarchy you've got to move your way up through. Paul goes on in verse one to say, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, according, uh, including the overseers and the deacons. Do you notice the order? All the saints, including some who are called to leadership. But the saints is what I'm emphasising. All the saints who are in Christ Jesus, including some of those that lead. Paul says, yes, we've got leaders, those who are called to lead, but it doesn't mean they're better than anybody else, that they've made it, that leaders are at the top and everybody else is underneath. Paul is saying that you're first and foremost defined by who has ultimate authority in your life. Paul says, I'm a slave to Jesus. And don't think just because you have a title, you're better or more significant or have made it. That's how you view it. Then what happens when that position is taken away? But also don't think that you if you don't have a title, that you are no one. Paul says you're a saint before anything else called to be a slave. That's who you are. Paul knew who he was, but he also knew whose he was. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That's who he is to all the saints in Christ Jesus. That's whose he is. So you've been noticed by God, whether you go unnoticed by this world or not. You've been noticed by God. You have been seen. You have been called out. You've been set apart. That's what saint means. It means you have got a purpose. As a slave, you might go unnoticed by the world, but that's okay because you're a saint and you've been set apart by God. And whether you get the job you want, whether you get the influence you want, you want or not, ultimately it doesn't matter because you've got purpose from God. You are called to be a saint, set apart to glorify him and give him all the honor through how you live your life. 
Paul says to all the saints in Christ Jesus. See, no matter how hard life is in the moment, whether you're filled with faith or you're flagging in faith right now, whether you're riding this storm or this storm is riding you, you're in Christ. You are a saint. Your faith, uh, your, your, your exercising of that faith and being able to be every online service and being able to, to read the Bible every single day and, and read another, yet another chapter. They're all great things, but they're not what qualify you as being a saint. They might help you grow as a saint, but your qualification as a saint is the fact that you are in Jesus, being in Jesus, the saints in Christ Jesus. Being in Christ, it's a bit of a strange sort of language, isn't it? What does that actually mean? But let's just, let, just for a couple of minutes, let me just do a little Bible study on in Christ. Just let me, three, three verses from scripture where we understand what Paul actually means when he says being in Christ. He's writing another letter to the church, uh, to the Romans, uh, to the church in Rome. And he says, uh, chapter six, verse 11, he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus. So when we're in Christ, it means, do you know what? Sin is now dead to us because Jesus has paid the price. We are now alive. So being in Christ means you're alive now and forevermore into eternity. Romans 8 verse 1, he says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, for those that are in Christ, you're no longer called a guilty, dirty, rotten sinner. The, the price has been paid. There is no condemnation. Jesus has paid the price and he gives the sinner a new life. That's what it means to be in Christ. And for those that think, oh, this is just those that are mature, clearly, you know, once you've got all that stuff understood and you, you, you know you've got all your theology sorted and you claim to understand it all. Well, Paul says uh, to infants in Christ in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, he says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. It's not you that qualifies you. It's a faith in who Jesus is. Being in Christ doesn't address just the mature ones that have got all their act together, but rather it's all believers, not those that can prove they're good enough Christians, but those who have accepted what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has done. Because it's not what you've done that qualifies you. It's what he's done. And that's what it means to be in Christ. You accept what he has done, that he has paid the price, that he has made the way. And that's what qualifies you of being a saint. And if you're in Christ, you can be assured that he is in you 100% of the time by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is not a moment of any moment of any day when God is not with you, whether you feel him or not, whether you get a quiver in your liver or not, whether you feel like a saint or not, be assured you are in Christ, which means Christ is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You might feel weak, you might feel defeated, you might feel lacking in faith, but in Christ, you're more than a conqueror, not because of you, not because of your ability to faith it up in this moment, but because of him, because you're a saint, not defined by your effort, but by his that's whose you are. You're his in Christ Jesus because you believe, not because of any other qualification. And that means he's in you. But that's not where the sentence ends. It says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. See, in this one verse alone, we see Paul lays out who he is, whose he is, and he declares God knows where you are. Can I tell you this morning, God knows where you are. God knows the situations you face on a daily basis. He knows what you struggle with. God knew that his church, this church was in Philippi. He knew the culture that they faced. He knew the uncertainties and the struggles that they were going through. None of it was missed by God. 
and none of it took God by surprise. He knew where they were and he knows where you are. The pain, the loss, the joy, the sorrow, the smiles, the tears, the accusations, the criticism, the uncertainty with what work and life may look like in six months time. He knows, he sees. And for some this morning, you need to hear this. God says, you are mine and I see you. You're not missing and you're not forgotten. He knows who he is, whose he is, and he declares God knows where you are. And let's just finish this morning. Uh, verse two it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That's who I am to all the saints in Christ Jesus. That's whose we are, uh, who are in Philippi. God knows where you are, including the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God, our father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace, that completely undeserved favour of God over your life. Who welcomes us into his presence, giving us what we could never deserve and could never earn. He's not just a distant or powerful God, but he is intimate and a loving father who is never too busy for us. Never dismissive of our needs, no matter how wrapped up in ourselves we are. He's never preoccupied, never too tired. He's always ready to listen. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And still he has all the time in the world for us and loves us unconditionally. It's God's grace. And then there's peace, this complete well-being in all of life from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Not that everything in life is going the way we want it to or need it to. Be reminded, Paul, we're going to keep coming back to this. Paul is in prison. This peace is not something that comes from a perfect set of circumstances, but it comes, Paul says, from God, our father, from him alone. He is both God and father. And the source of peace comes from him alone. Church, I'm, I'm going to finish and we're going to finish our time together this morning. But I just want to invite each one of us as we start this journey through this letter, as we begin this new week with the announcements that have happened and what the uncertainty of what even this next month may look like. But what about next year? And we hope this will all be over by now. I want to invite each one of you to come to him right now, that whatever it is that we're looking to, to bring peace this week, it's him alone. It will only come from him. I want to ask you, do you know who you are before Jesus? Do you know whose you are in Jesus? And do you believe right now that God knows where you are, that he sees you and he is with you? Paul did. Paul did. And it's it's this opening couple of uh, sentences that is setting the tone to say this is going to be a letter that no matter what I'm going through, there is a deep joy because I understand this. In the midst of a situation that was the hardest thing that he would go through. Paul says, whatever we think will provide the grace we need to get through this season, it's only found in God as we surrender at all of life to him as we give ourselves increasingly to him, submitting to him as the ultimate authority in our lives. As we see that he calls us his own, that we're saints in Jesus, that he is your father. And not only that, but you are his precious child, his son and his daughter. And he sees right where you are, sees what you're going through. You're not forgotten in the middle of the whirlwind of what's going on, but you are known and you are loved. All from two verses that we can be so easily tempted to gloss over. Paul is saying, get this and then you'll get where I'm coming from for the rest of this letter. So as Becky leads us in a song, as we respond right now, my prayer is simply this, that the spirit of God would come right into your household with whoever you're with, whether you're on your own or with someone else, whatever it is you're facing, the circumstances you've got going on this week. That he would remind you just who you are. 
that we submit completely to him. Whose you are. He's your God. He's your father. But you're his child. You are a saint. Lift up your heads, my children. You're a saint. And that we'd be reminded, God knows where we are. None of it's missed. And he pours out his grace and his peace. So Spirit of God, right now, as we sing to you, as we lift our voice, I just pray that, that Lord, will you bless us with your presence? Lord, as we seek to live, love and look like you, as we seek to be a blessing to those around us, Lord, I pray that you would bless us right now with your presence. That we can call ourselves blessed, not because we've got all the stuff we need, but we've got the ultimate one that we need in you. And you call us your saints. You call us your children. You say to us, I am yours and you are mine. So God, will you pour out your spirit right now? Presence yourself with each one of us to experience you and out of the overflow of that we live. Thanks, Becky.
spirit like water to my soul your word is a lamp unto my feet jesus i love you love you oh jesus i love you i love you and Jesus, I love you, love you. So Jesus, we ask that today um, that we would know the uh, abundance of your grace. The abundance of your grace that you lavish upon us, that use your joy to give. Uh, Lord, may we... We rest, may we rest secure in your grace and your mercy and may your peace reign and rule in our hearts as we put our trust completely and wholeheartedly in you. Lord, we thank you that you know, you know, uh, you know where we are, you know the moment we are in and I thank you Lord for the, the power of your word to speak into these moments and so Lord may we continue to dwell upon the richness of your word uh, in Jesus name I pray. Amen. Thanks. Um, thanks so much for being with us today. I know that a number of you have been posting on the chat there that you've just found that really uh, encouraging this morning, that message from uh, that John's, John's brought. You will be able to watch it again at some point this week if you want to go back over it and, and just listen once again as John unpacked that for us. Um, I, just one thing to say, please do feel continue to submit any prayer requests uh, just ready for tomorrow evening in our our prayer, prayer meeting together and um, do join us if you're able but other than that hope you have a great sunday uh, enjoy the rest of the day whatever it is that you're going to be able to do and i uh, look forward to seeing you next week if not before god bless <laughs>